Morning, Machias family. I'm so glad you're here. I feel really dumb sitting up here by myself. We want to share some things. You know, this is, we, we pray before every sermon, or before every service, and one of the things that, that I pray pretty consistently is that God would use this opportunity that we have together to make us grow, and He will. He will do that. In fact, well, I'm going to talk about this for a second before I flip it over. He will do that. He uses our time together, and, and, and we hear some of the word, and I, as I told the kids, He uses us, as, as, he, as he brings all of his tools together, and, and I've given you all these things, he said, to equip the saints to do the work in the ministry and grow so that we can be more mature in Christ. And that's why we're here. We're here to grow and be more mature in Christ. And so I know we prayed and we thank God ahead of time for what he's going to do. And he is going to do, he's doing something. Now, we have to allow him sometimes. We can resist his working in us. We're going to talk about this. Um, but our journey from brokenness to holiness, that really is the, the point of Christianity for you and for me. I was broken. I was broken when I was born. I didn't even have to do anything. I was just born that way. I was born from the seed of Adam and Eve when, when they brought sin into the world. And it said from that, we all inherit some of that, those traits, and, and we're sinful and we're broken. Okay, so... From where we're concerned, we want to go back to being round again. And, and, and that's what Christianity is about. It's, it's God's plan to take that which was broken and bring it back into relationship so that, so that we can enjoy all the things that God had intended for us to have when we were first created. One of those things, and the greatest thing, Two really great things. One is no sin, and two, intimate relationship with God and, 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 and each other. That's the journey that you're on. You, you know, so, so we're going to look at this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful he will surely do it. How many of you hopefully find great hope and joy in that statement? Hopefully you do. Do you understand this is a description of the end of your game, the end of your story? Yesterday, the Mariners, they were tied 0-0 after 9, and I said, hey, if you guys can't get it done in 9, I'm, I'm out. And so I went to bed. And then I woke up this morning and went online and found out they lost 6-2 to two, or 5-2, to two, something like that. Okay, let's just say I went to bed last night knowing that in the end they were going to win 5-2. to two. And I could have gone to bed with all that satisfaction. You can go to bed tonight knowing in the end this is your reality, that God himself, is going to sanctify you, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the sermon, if we get there. Make you holy, round. This is your destiny, and it is supposed to give you hope and joy and get you through some of those times when life is really, really hard, and, and it's, it's 
beating up on you and you have doubts and you have and you get all these messages that are not biblical and you start to doubt things and 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 life is confusing and i can just say yeah but i know the end i know the end i'm round again i'm round again and i'm enjoying god with no sin in my life to get in the way because it's promised right here now there are two types of sanctification. There is the sanctification that happens now, right? That happens once I was saved, and then I'm on this journey towards unbrokenness and wholeness. But in this life, it's never going to be done. Then there is this one. This one, I'm going to be completely blameless at the coming of my Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I am going to be perfectly sanctified when I get my new body. Okay, so, so that's the end game, and God is going to completely take care of the process for you. But now, here we are in this life that I'm living now, and it isn't quite as easy as that. And we see ourselves in this process of being taken from brokenness. Now, we're, we're still borrowing Christ's righteousness from a positional standpoint. God looks at us and sees us perfect because we're in Christ. But practically, we're still broken and we still have this sinful fleshly part of us that, that's craving sin. And, and according to God's word, you know, it's, it's deceitful and wicked. And it wants its way, and it's always in there, and it's trying to come out, and it comes out a lot. But God is working on that, and this is the process. And so in looking at this, um, we have to look at you know, Brokenness is a big problem when God's standard is perfection. And our brokenness, as I told the kids, leads us to death or eternal separation from God, and since we're broken, we're completely unable to fix our own brokenness because that's what, what is broken can't make itself whole again. Our, our brokenness leads, leads us to being blind to our own plight. We don't even understand that we're broken sometimes or how badly we're broken, and we certainly can't see the solution on our own because we're broken. Our brokenness puts us in a war with God, a war with others, a war with the world, and a war with ourselves in which we will inevitably lose. Our brokenness can only be fixed by God. And the pathway to this fixing, to our healing, can be complex and confusing, especially in this life. And the next one is going to be totally obvious. God's just going to say, no, I'm done. I'm going to finish the job. You are completely new. I am going to make you completely round again, and everything will be perfect. But that first requires reconciliation, or I have to first have my death sentence commuted by accepting the righteousness of Christ, accepting Him as my Lord and Savior, being reconciled back in relationship to God. And that process of changing me back into the image of Christ begins in my life in a practical way. And it's not, it's not easy. And it's sometimes not very pretty. And it's hard. And it takes a lot of, of, of side roads. But God is in there and He is relentless. He is relentless with you. He is going to continue even when he allows us to resist and rebel. 
And so we, we, we see Christianity and the Bible full of things about that process. This is the culmination. This is the hope at the end of the story. This is the light at the end of the tunnel. He is promising you two things. I will never quit and I will finish the job. And there is so much hope there. But from personal experience, from seeing others, if we don't understand the process, we can be discouraged by it. We can be misled by it. We can, we can have wrong ideas of, of, of how it works. And when we find ourselves in that place where we're experiencing pain or we're experiencing doubt, and we get all confused and we think, well, God must, is not true to his promise. He's not fixing me. He's not doing it the right way. So we need to understand some things about the process of God fixing you in this life. Okay? So we see this, and we see how important this, tra- this transformation really is. Now, may the God of peace himself, God's going to do it, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, all of you, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the one who calls you, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So, I get it, and you hopefully you understand that, and it's got a lot of hope and a lot of... But, but let's, let's look at the process a little bit so that we can come back to this at the end and understand more correctly what it is that is going on. So I'm going to share with you a parable. Then I'm going to explain the parable. that sound familiar? I'm not Jesus, though. A young boy was adopted into a family. He was an orphan. And he was adopted into a family. It was, it was a very prestigious family. In fact, his father, his new adopted father, was the Grand Master Champion Puzzler of all the world. He could do puzzles more complex and quicker than anybody else. In puzzling competitions, he won every single one. And the boy came into that family, and from the very beginning, he said, I want to be like my, my new dad. I want to be just like my new dad. And so he was put into a training course to become a master puzzler. And one day, his older brother came by, another, another brother who'd been adopted, whose older had already gone through the process and was a master puzzler now himself, And he came to check up on his younger brother, and he said, well, how's it going? And his younger brother said, well, man, it's sometimes this is just really, really hard. It's very sometimes very discouraging. In fact, at times it seems impossible. But but there's times, and I think, if I just try really hard, and I, and I give it my best efforts, I can do this. I can, I can finish this puzzle and become a master puzzler because that was the requirement. He had to finish this puzzle. He said, if I just, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. If I just try hard enough. But then there's other times when it just seems like it's impossible and I just want to give up. I just, it's too hard. It's too hard. And I just want to tell dad, I can't do this. It can't be done. And I'm just giving up. Then there's times when I, I question, you know, what's the point? Why do I need to be, why do I need to be like my dad anyway? 
I'm good enough. I, I'm okay the way I am, and I'm already the, the, the master's puzzler's son. Isn't that stand for something? I'm already in the family. What, what difference does it make whether I learn how to do puzzles or not? I just don't see the point of it. And then sometimes when I mess up, you know, there's painful consequences and, and bad things happen and, and then dad comes down and disciplines me or corrects me. Or you remember the one time when I had it almost I mean, about a third of the way there and the dog came by and knocked the puzzle onto the floor and all the pieces went everywhere. And the older brother said, yeah, yeah, there's some things you need to know about the process of becoming a master puzzler. One, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own, said the older brother. Here's seven words you need to remember. Dad, I need your help with this. Um, let's say it again. Dad, I need your help with this. One more time. Dad, I need your help with this. You think you can do this. And you can't. You, you understand. You understand who dad is, right? Uh, he's, a, he's the grand champion master puzzler. He wants to help you. And yet, I know you, you're stubborn, and you got a lot of pride, and you think you can do this on your own. But, but remember those seven words because I'm just telling you right now, on your own, you're never going to get there. And when you're discouraged, don't give up because dad's always there to help. He's, he's there. Remember when, he, when your puzzle got knocked down on the floor? Who came in and helped you put it all back together the way it was? Yeah, I know. Dad did that. Well, don't get discouraged. I know there's going to be setbacks, but you've got to hang in there. And it does matter. It does matter. Don't forget or minimize the importance of being like Dad. You know, sometimes you get discouraged and you think, well, what's the point? Why should I even try to be like Dad? I can never be as good as him. Why don't I just give up now? And that's going to be a temptation for you. But remember, it is important. God, Dad knows that being more like him is going to bring you joy and peace and satisfaction. In the life now, while you're trying to solve the puzzle, don't give up. And don't think that it's not important, because it is. And then when, when you get the correction, and, 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 and the puzzle gets knocked over, and Dad comes down and, and, and disciplines you and, and, and makes corrections, or other things happen, remember this. It's all for your own good. That's Dad helping you, even when you don't ask. That's dad helping you even when you're not asking for it. He's looking over it, and, and he, sometimes he knows you need to be corrected, and he'll come down, and, 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 and he, makes, he makes that because he loves you. And then here is what you got to remember. In the end, dad's going to come down and finish the whole thing for you, and you're going to be a master puzzler. That's 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 encouraging because you know this is this this seems like it's impossible. And the older brother said, <laughs> "Of course it's impossible. You were never meant to do it on your own. 
Dad's going to fix it, and he's going to finish it in the end. And you're going to be a master puzzler. What do you think the pieces of the puzzle look like in this impossible puzzle? I'm going to share a few of them with you, and then we're going to discuss the parable. Here are some pieces of the impossible puzzle. First, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, since that's where we're at. Respect those who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you and lead you and hold them in high regard. Live in peace with one another. Warn the idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Don't pay back evil for evil, but be kind to everybody. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Don't have contempt for God's word. Test everything. Hold on to what's good. Reject everything that's evil. Live by the spirit. No, Galatians chapter 5. Live by the spirit at all times, not giving in to your flesh. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfishness, ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness. Ephesians chapter 5. Live a life of abundant sacrifice to God and others. Have no greed or impure thoughts or impure motives or deeds. Use no obscene or foolish language. Ephesians chapter 6. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives even unto death. Slaves, submit to your masters as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents every day. Put on the full armor of God. Leave nothing off. Pray always and always be alert for the evil in the world. Philippians chapter 2. Be in one spirit, in one purpose, in one mind all the time. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, what Jeff read this morning. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Look to others' interests instead of your own. Have the same attitude of humility and self-sacrifice as Christ did. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Be blameless and pure with no faults. Put your minds and hearts on things above instead of the selfish things of this world. Put to death your sinful fleshly nature in Colossians chapter 3. Rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Put on your new self more and more every day by killing off your old self. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another in your grievances. Forgive one another for everything. Love everyone. Live in unity with all believers. Let peace always rule your hearts and minds. Do everything as if you were doing it for God himself, not for others, not for yourself. Work with a motive to please God in everything that you do. Colossians chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful always, be wise towards those without God so as to bring them into the family. Let your conversations always be full of grace for others. And now just some miscellaneous ones thrown in. Don't love the world or anything in the world. Don't have a love for money, stuff, or fame. Be anxious for nothing. Love your enemies. Shower them with kindness. Avoid rumors, gossip, and unfruitful controversies. Don't ever judge other people. Support the needy and do everything in faith. Somewhere in there, you failed. Somewhere in there, you couldn't live up to the standard. Somewhere in there, you understood that this was the impossible puzzle. I'm never going to finish it. Our responses tend to go in different ways when that happens. One, we try, we try harder. I can do this, God. I can do this. 
You made me in your image. I can do this. Or we just give up. It's too hard, God. I have no chance. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna stop trying and let grace cover it all. Right? There's plenty of grace in the grace pool for me. It doesn't really matter how I live. I'm saved. Or we rationalize and we just say, "Well, yeah, it was bad, but you know, I messed up a little bit. Wasn't that bad? It's certainly not as bad as you." God has a purpose for us during this life. After we've been reconciled back to him by the righteousness we borrowed from Jesus, I want to make you more like me for your good and my glory. And it's going to be painful. It's, you're going to have to die to yourself and live by my spirit. So let's go through the parable in the five points and see. You can't just do this on your own efforts. Those seven words, Dad, I need your help on this. Galatians chapter 3 says, Are you so foolish, Galatians, that having begun by the Spirit, you are now trying to be perfected by the flesh? See, God's telling us, don't try this on your own. You were never intended. This is the impossible puzzle for you. You're never going to get it done. But why are you trying to do it on your own? You were saved by my grace through my Holy Spirit's work in the regeneration of your heart and mind, and you understood that. Why are you now trying to fix yourself on your own? I want you to be fixed. Oh, yeah. You want yourself to be fixed. It's a job for me. I'm the grand master puzzler. I can do it, and I'm willing to do it, but there are things you need to do. You have to die yourself and you have to allow me to fix you by my spirit when you're discouraged don't give up because God or dad is always there oh we forgot one back but in Galatians chapter 5 16 and 17 but I tell you walk by the spirit for you will then not gratify the desires of your flesh for the desires of your flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against your flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, living by the Spirit, because it's always in conflict with the flesh. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and that battle that's going on and, and how he struggles with it, and that is something that is always with us. I don't know why. I wish God would have just completed the job when he first saved me, but he didn't, and he has a reason, and his plan is perfect. But he is in there working. But what he requires is I walk by the Spirit and not in my flesh. Because in my flesh, the thing I try to do all the time, I always stumble and fall and fail. And it becomes discouraging. But don't get discouraged and don't give up because it says in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says that. Are there times when it seems like he's not there? Yeah, I get it. Right. Sometimes it seems like I'm all alone. And and who do you think left the relationship? You know, I can't I can't get mad at Carol, slam the door, walk out, get in my car and leave, and then just say, God, I'm so I can't believe it. My wife has left me. Uh, no, Tim, I think you left her. 
And we do that. And we get mad, we slam the door, and we drive away, and then we're angry at God because he's not there. He said, I'm here. I'll never leave you or forsake you, ever. Don't give up. God's always there. How you live does matter. Never forget or minimize the value of being transformed into Christ's image. It's for our good and God's glory, and and just being saved and relying on grace for God to forgive everything robs you of peace and joy and satisfaction now. 1 Peter 1.16. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See, See, God wants holiness for you, not from you because you can't do it. Sorry about Yeah, thank you, whoever's doing that. <laughs> I always get lost. Uh, see, see, God says it does matter. We, we see this problem talked about in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to go on sinning that grace may abound? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do not you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. You were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. What it's saying there is, don't, don't just sit around and say, it doesn't matter, and I can just sin because grace will cover it. He's saying, look, I ra- you, were, you died. When you were baptized, that was a, a symbol of your death and resurrection to newness of life. It is available. It's a process, and it's long, and it hurts, and it's confusing. But it leads you to newness of life in this life. It does matter how you live after you're saved. And there's that the free grace movement in Christianity that says, ah, it don't matter. Christianity is too hard. That whole list that I gave you plus 10 times more, you're never going to get there. Just forget it. Just, just live and love God, and he'll cover all your sins. Sure, if you want to live a miserable life. That's not God's plan for you. It does matter. And so, yes, we have to be engaged. We have to recognize that is the priority. After I've been saved, then the priority in my life is being transformed into the image of Jesus, which leads me down God's pathway and will for my life, which then helps me to use my spiritual gifts for the building of God's kingdom in in, in the place that I live. And all of it stems from being more like Jesus. You want God's will for your life, be more like Jesus. How do I be more like Jesus? Then i got to die to self and let the Spirit control my life. The next one. Correction, discipline, and trials are all there for your own good. It's Dad helping even when we don't ask. James Chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you have trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, that's what God wants for you. He wants for you to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, and so he brings along these trials. He knocks the puzzle over or lets it happen so that you can understand you need to rely on God, and it's developing things in you to transform you to the image of Jesus. Now, crossing that bridge into being happy about it takes a little practice. It usually takes a little time for the pain to go away, which is why God gave us each other to be there during those times. 
You have to understand, see, in this process, and we're going to go to the end, we're going to get to the end here pretty quick, and we're going to say, I'm just, I just want that. True. But don't forget that in this, po- in this part of your life, when you are still under construction, it's going to hurt. Don't get mad. Don't give up. Don't get angry with God. Understand that God is in control of this process, that he loves you, and part of his loving you is allowing pain for a reason. And then don't forget, as we get into the next part, in the end, Dad's going to finish the job. He's going to purify us and restore us, and everything else in our world will be fixed completely and forever. So we go to the verse, and we see that that's what it's telling us. Now may the God of peace himself, the God who emanates peace. Do you recognize that brokenness is the opposite of peace? And you think, well, peace is really the absence of conflict. Wouldn't conflict be the opposite of peace? Maybe. But brokenness is the cause of all conflict. The reason you are in conflict with the world, with God, with yourself, with other people, is because all those things except God are broken. When God removes the brokenness, the result will be peace in your life. Complete, utter peace. So he's telling you, I am the God of peace who heals and fixes the broken. And I myself am going to sanctify you or make you completely holy. 100% every bit of you including giving you a new physical body that is no longer broken. So that every aspect of you, your soul, your spirit, and your body, will be completely, and I mean 100%, changed and fixed. So that you can be preserved blameless, be guarded, be watched, be kept, be surrounded with no blame, perfectly forgiven and forgotten as if it never happened. I believe you will have no recollection of this life in the next one. Once we get there and everything is fixed, it's like sin, what's that? Pain, what's that? Sorrow, what's that? All I have is joy. All I have is peace. All I have is this unconditional love just showering over me from God. That's what's in store. Keep in mind the goal, the end, as we're working through the struggle. Until the coming of Christ, in, until, until is, is, is actually not a good word. Uh, translation in, in the NIV is until the coming of Christ, or at the coming of Christ is a better one, which means in, on, at, and after. Christ's return when he comes to claim his own and we will be finally, perfectly, and completely sanctified. That's wonderful news. That is absolutely wonderful news. But again, without understanding the process of how you get there, 
it may not have the effect that it should have, right? God gave us this promise to help us get through those times. And I would go back, and I don't have the passage now. As I remember that, and I go to 1 Peter 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and it's like, okay, remember all these things I'm promising you, an inheritance that will never fade or spoil or perish, that's being guarded by God forever for you, at the coming of his son, but for now, if necessary, you've had to endure trials of, of various kinds. But in those other things, rejoice. Okay, so that's, that's the point here. The point here is, one, I'm giving you some information. This is what's in store. Two, I'm giving it to you so that when things are hard, which I know they're going to be, in fact, I'm going to make them hard, you remember the goal. Without understanding that and, you, and thinking, thinking that, well, why is it I've been saved? Why is life still so hard? God, I don't get it. I'm giving up. No. Understand the process so that you aren't tricked into thinking that, that God is promising you something he's not. He's promising to change you, and that process hurts. But it's good for you. And in the end, he's going to finish. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Um, Lord, this is, a, this is a, an interesting thing to think about all the things that you've promised us in light of living in a world that is so hard. Um, how do we process this, God? You've got to help us. You've got to help us process this the correct way so that it indeed has the purpose that you intended for it, which is to give us hope and joy and steadfastness in times of trouble, which are plenty. I need it, Lord. I need, I need your hope and your, and your joy to inhabit my life when things are so hard. And it just seems like they're getting harder. And so, Father, help us to find these points of joy. Recognize that it's not a, a, a promise of no pain here, but it is a promise of what our eternal destiny is. But that should help sustain us, Lord. Help us to live in that moment. We just thank you and praise you for how you're going to do it through your power and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.